Today on the Agents Who Crush It Real Estate Podcast, we're going to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly of how real estate agents overcame challenges and grew their business. Check out the episode notes at crushitinre.com slash podcast. And here's your host, Lindsay Favaza. Welcome back to the Agents Who Crush It in Real Estate Podcast, where we talk to top performing agents in the industry and learn about their journeys, tips, and tricks for success. I am your host, Lindsay Favaza. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of introducing Nicole Vermillion, a realtor with Lamaki Realty. Although she started her career in real estate in 2013, she joined Lamaki Realty in the spring of 2021. And in just one year at the firm, she qualified for the prestigious President's Club in 2022 with over 16 million in sales volume sold. And she has six so far this year sold already. She got her license like so many others after purchasing her first home in her 20s. She was overwhelmed with the process, but loved it and knew she could make a difference in other people's lives. So without further ado, welcome to the podcast, Nicole. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you. We've been trying to get this on the books. I feel like you and I are like two ships passing in the night. (laughs) Schedule it. (laughs) It all came together and we're here. So take me back, take the audience back, and let's talk about when you first got into real estate, your experience buying your first home, and how that made you excited and motivated and, you know, what got you through those first couple of years. Uh, So um, when I graduated college, one of my big goals was buying a home. And I think it was super important to me. My, um, the man I call my dad right now is my stepdad, but my mom, I was a product of a divorce. We lived with my grandmother. My mom didn't have a home of her own. And I just knew that having a home would bring me stability. So that was a huge goal of mine. When I graduated college, I got a couple years working under my belt so I could get approved for that mortgage and bought a tiny little foreclosure in Weymouth just to get my foot in the door. Had a great agent, um, the one who kind of pushed me to get into real estate. But throughout that process, I remember being so overwhelming that I don't remember what I signed, where I signed it. When did I give checks? Were things faxed back then? I don't even remember. So um, that was a big deal to me. And I said, I kept on telling my agent Janice at the time, yeah, I don't know. I'm busy. I'm getting married. So I finally got married. I got pregnant. And then I was like, now's the time to take the test. So I took the test in 2013 and passed and just kept it active, but didn't do anything with it until after I had my second child, because why not jump in then? So I joined the brokerage with the same agent who helped me buy my house and was there for five years. And I did have another job throughout that whole time. And I just built my business organically. And I figured, all right, if I can do three sales one year and then the next year do six and then the next year do 10 and just do a little bit better every year, that'll be enough for me. And that's how I started until I got good numbers. I was like, I think I need a change. So what were the things that like you were thinking about during that transition of needing a change? What were the reasons that you needed a change because you were now are doing so much more business or, you know, you needed to kind of take it to that next level? Like what were your thoughts there? Uh, Well, I definitely needed help in order to scale my business. I was doing everything by myself. I was at a brokerage where it was just typical for the agent to do everything. Um, So I realized that in order for me to scale, I needed to branch out and look for maybe another company that could offer me some sort of assistance. So I um, I looked around and I was getting recruited at that point, but there was one company that I could not shake um, and it was Lamakia. Could not get it out of my head. 
So, and it started with, with COVID. I started listening to Anthony's Crush It in Real Estate podcast. And that's where I was, this is where I have to go. So I made the decision. It took me lo- a lot longer than it should have to make the decision. I look back now and I'm like, you should be embarrassed that it took you that long to make that decision. <laughs> but, but I waited. I joined in May of 21 and I just, I don't see myself leaving. Love it. So tell me um, in those first days after you transitioned, what were some of the things that you focused on? What were some of the things that you were like, you know what, this is why I made this change, but like now I need to do this to get to that next level to to continue this progress. So what were some of the things that you focused on at that time? Well, I had to do a lot of introspection into me. I'm a recovering control freak. I feel like I'm going to be like that the rest of my life. It's a lot of work for me to be like, and check yourself, Nicole, you're obnoxious. Um, I like to do things by myself. I don't know if I was like, if you want something done right, you do it yourself and took that way too far. But I needed help. Um, Some of the things like even the marketing tips that I learned in training, I thought I was doing a good job at marketing before I came here. And I, I was doing all right. But I think a lot of my success came from success based marketing, like showing that this is what I'm doing. And showing reviews, making sure I get a review on every sale and posting it, um, pictures, being relatable. I think that's important to people. And I know a lot of people, it's funny, I thought it was cheesy when I started using my youngest daughter as my you know, assistant in quotes. Uh, she's three now, but I just, when she was a baby, that she just started as my assistant and she has a funny personality. So she works out, she's fired usually most of the time, but people <laughs> love it. Like they're like, how's your assistant? And I'm like, well, she's fired today, but we're all right. You know, um, but it kind of helps that I think, although it's corny, it reminds people that I'm a mom, I'm a realtor. Like I have a lot of things going on and it humanizes you. Yeah. And it doesn't make me any less than I'm not a bad realtor because I'm a mom, nor am I a bad mom because I'm a realtor. And sometimes I have days where I actually had an event this past weekend that allowed me to miss, well, I had to miss half of my son's basketball playoff game. And I had one of those moments where I'm like, he's going to be in therapy in 10 years because I missed his playoff. And then I was like, he's in third grade. I think we'll be okay. But I, it was one of those moments where the quote that you hear, uh, they want you to work like you're not a mother and mother like you don't work really hit me hard. So but then I have to remember, and actually another agent in the company, when she said, well, bump the time. And if people have a problem with it, those probably aren't the people that you want to work with. And that takes a lot for me to remember and to really take in because I feel like sometimes I will do everything to bend for a client rather than the other way around. Yes. And you have to train your clients. You know, I know Jackie Lou has done a lot of um, discussion about that in trainings here where she says that when she used to be, you know, selling, she would be up at 10, 11 o'clock at night responding to text messages. And then, you know, her clients would expect it. So then when she didn't do it, she tried to like break free a little bit, they would get mad. And it's like, no, you know, but there's plenty of people out there that have set that expectation and they can not respond at 10 o'clock and that's not anything out of the ordinary. So Yeah, I think that's really smart. And I'm glad that you made those changes for sure. Now, you talked about differentiating yourself. So talk a little bit about some of the effective marketing strategies that you like will not stray from. Um, I will not stray from doing video. It is not my favorite thing at all. I feel uncomfortable every single time I do it. But I know that people want to see me. They want to see my face. They want to hear my voice. 
And I, you know, I don't come on just to be like, hey, it's Monday and the weather's great. Like I usually come on with a purpose, try to keep it around one, two, three minutes, depending on what I'm talking about. And I think that makes a difference. So I made a goal about two years ago to go live once a week. I did that for a while and reels were starting to get big when I first did that, but not as big. So now I try to do one reel a week. And sometimes when I'm not feeling like going on the can't like going on the phone, I'll find something else, but at least it's a reel. So I won't got content out there. That's all that matters. Yeah. Yeah. I won't let that go. And I don't think I'll ever stop doing my events. I know that a lot of people, they kind of feel like events, they're just going to cost a lot of money just because of the nature of the event. But I think depending on the event you're doing, they don't necessarily have to cost that much money. And I think that if you show your, you put yourself out there as the one who's always doing workshops or the one who's doing client appreciation parties, you develop a little bit of a reputation for that. And lately I've seen the reputation. I, I have to remember that imitation is flattery, even though it's been a little hard over the past month or two to see so many people doing homebuyer workshops. Um, but that was something I started two and a half years ago and have not stopped. I do a home buyer workshop at least once a month. Um, it's one of my favorite things to do. So your most recent one was called Buyers and Bagels, right? Mm-hmm. So tell me about that theme, how you come up with themes for each of these and like make them different and keep them fresh. It's probably more than anything, keeping it fresh for you just because you do so many of them. So tell me, get dive into more deeply, you know, these first time home buyer seminars and what you're doing with them. So I just like to, uh, I like to educate. That's the main goal. But I realize that not everybody is a real estate a dweeb like me and doesn't necessarily find it fun to talk about home buying and selling. So my initial idea was, well, if we put a theme to it, feed people, give them drink, make it a little bit of fun, that they might find it, you know, an otherwise boring subject, maybe we can jazz it up a little bit. So I started doing these called Hops and Homes, which, you know, a lot of people did that. We'd go to a brewery. I paired up with a lender that I do a lot of work with. We would make it very educational, but people would go, they'd get two, three beers. We'd provide pizza. We'd have dessert. And, you know, in two hours, people, I mean, I've had people leave those workshops that they didn't know each other before when they got there and they leave as friends. Like, it's just a fun way of educating people. I usually have, um, one or two successful buyer or bio, buyer couples from each one of those workshops. And I just thought, okay, Hops and Homes worked. Let's see if we can do some other ones. So I like a good rhyme. I like alliteration. Um, so Buyers and Bagels was my most recent one. We did it in the morning on a weekend, provided bagels and coffee and did a home buyer workshop. But I've done Wine, Cheese and Keys. Um, that was a popular oh, one. I've that. done uh, Donuts and Doorbells. So, and I have some other ones. I'm going to keep them. Yes. Keep them close to the hip until you've done them. And then we know where they're stealing them from because you did them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I've one in there already. I do always like when I have a home buyer workshop, I like the next one to be planned. That way, when those people are like, wow, this was great information. Next time I want to bring so-and-so, then they'll text their friends be like, oh, the next one's May 2nd. Put it in your calendar. So smart because they're really the people that can help you market that next one. Even if they're not necessarily coming again, they can say like, oh, we have this great thing. You know, we're looking at at buying now. And then their friends say, oh, well, you know, tell me about it. And then they say, well, she's doing another one on this date. It just yep. rolls into the next one. So what would you say is average attendance at some of these that you've done? Um, obviously, it's probably been hindered in the last couple of years by COVID, but I'm assuming more and more people are probably attending now. So what is like average over the last year of how many people come to these? 
Uh, the other lender and I usually get about 15 people. Some of those are couples. Um, some of them are single, but we usually average about a 15 amount of attendance. This last weekend was a little lower. We had um, 10 RSVP'd and only seven showed up, but it was good because those seven people that came, I do think are hungry. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's hard with uh, these workshops are happening. I see them on my Facebook at least two or three times a week. So it's hard to differentiate yourself when everyone's doing them. Yeah. But, you know, I have to hope that I'll keep on doing them as I have been doing and that will help. It will work. It, it's been working for you. It'll continue to work for you for sure. Um, and you have the best names. So, I mean, that's got to give you something <laughs> there. Um so speaking of buyers, talk to me about, um, you know, we're still seeing multiple offer situations, you know, here in Massachusetts and we're in March and we're still seeing it. Um, I expect that we're going to probably see it for at least another month or so. Um, so tell me what you do to help your buyers get the home, to win the home um, in this these crazy markets. Uh, well, it's definitely, if I can set them up with a solid pre-approval right before we even begin looking, that that makes all the difference. And I mean, like with a local lender that won't have a problem calling the other realtor when we submit an offer and saying, listen, you know, Jill and Joe Smith are great. Um, they've been looking for a while. They're quality pre-approvals, great job. And then that always helps. So I want to work with a lender that'll take that extra step to make that call. I'll also tell them, you know, we need to get in there and we need to move fast. You you don't have the luxury of being able to think. Um, I think what makes this area of multiple offers, this section of time that we're seeing right now harder is that people who looked in the fall when things were sitting a little bit and didn't have to move as fast. Now we're like, well, what do you mean? Why is it like this again? And it's you have to go through those supply and demand talk all the time. So um, I think me educating my buyers like, oh, you need to get ready. This is only one of three single family homes on the market in Quincy. This is going to be a multiple offer situation. I feel it's priced low intentionally. Blah, blah, blah. So I kind of set the preparation for them. I also don't encourage them to look at a property that's at their max value. Because I just feel like that's unfair. They're not going to have enough upside to make the deal work. Right. And I say to them, listen, if we find out that it's sitting, say they don't get an offer in seven days, then yes, we do. We go right in at asking price. Then you have an opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Um, some of the other things I try to make my package look as good as possible so that the listing agent knows they're working with a professional. So I put a nice cover letter with every single offer and it breaks down the basics of the deals like buyer's name, uh, property address, what we're offering, what are our deposits? Do they have a home inspection? Who is their lender? And I put the lender contact information on there in case they want to reach out to the lender. And then I do a nice little note at the bottom. And just that way they know exactly what they're working with. And I put it all in order. If they have a lead form attachment there or a seller's disclosure form, that's going with the offer because I want them to know they're not going to be chasing me for things. So, and you know, up to a certain point, I always tell my buyers, it's not my money. So I cannot tell you what you should offer, but I can tell you what I think will win it. And if they choose that advice, they do. And if they don't, they have to feel good knowing that they put their all or what they felt the house was worth and are okay with losing it if somebody went 10K over that. So with these beautiful packages that you put together, because they sound fantastic to me, um, have you had realtors comment on it? Have you had people say like, oh my gosh, this is such a great package that you've put together? Like what, what has some of the feedback been? Yeah. So the lenders that I don't work with all the time are like, well, how did you come up with this? And I'm like, well, it's something that my company offers. I just choose to use it. It's the cover page. 
Um, I've had my buyers, unfortunately, don't really get to see the package because I'm not going to send their offer. Like I don't send the offer to them. I know. But they don't get to see that you're working so hard to get it done. And they don't even if they saw it, they'd probably just expect that that's normal. Yeah. And it's it's not. I mean, when I'm on the other side, I get sometimes seven emails with seven different documents and I have to say, oh, can, can you sign the offer? Oh, my. Please. <laughs> um, so I think sometimes buyers, they don't know what they have in, in, unless they experience the opposite, which I hope they don't ever have to. Well, um, but if they didn't have to, they wouldn't have to. So that's good. Well, yeah. But then I've had other agents like, you know, you didn't win, ba- you know, based on your terms. But if it was a winning based on prettiest offer, you'd get it. And I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> that's a compliment. So you'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> Hey, that's a win-win situation. You know what I mean? Like you're, you know, the agent is able to communicate back with you. You're you're building that relationship with them for the future offer. So that's that's a good thing. I mean, it's not a win for the buyer, obviously, but you know. But I would think it would help too if they say, for instance, that house comes back on market. I feel like I would have left an impression on them, Absolutely. and maybe like, oh, Nicole, are your buyers still interested? And say, as a matter of fact, they are, and yeah. it, just, it helps. Yep, I love that. That's amazing. So. Tell me what you say to someone that tells you, no, 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 I don't want to buy right now. I'm going to wait until the market crashes. What is your response to that? Because so many realtors hear that right now. And even in light of what's going on just the last few days, because right now it's the 13th of March and we've had, you know, Silicon Valley Bank is crashing and there's all these crazy, you know, things happening with rates and all of that. But, you know, we can't say for certain it's I don't know. What is your what is your thoughts on this? And what do you tell people to make sure that they kind of stay focused on their goal? Well, the first question I ask is, what do you mean by crash? Because everyone has a different definition. And sometimes based on the answer they give me, I'll understand where they're getting this from. And usually it ends up being parents or an older relative who are afraid of what happened in 2008 happening again. And I understand that. I would be petrified, too. I mean, I bought my first house or in 2011, so we weren't quite recovered from that whole thing. But I and I use my personal situation with people that I talk to. Like, what do you mean by crash? And then I give them a little bit of a market update. Like, We only have a month and a half of inventory for us to be in a balanced market. We need six months. So I talk about the supply and demand. I talk about what's on the market right now. And then I come down to is your payment going to be comfortable for you? Because you have to pay for a place to live. And if you're paying rent right now and your mortgage is not going to be that much more expensive, why not build the equity? Because real estate always comes back. You just have to be patient. So if you're going to waste, if I had to choose myself whether or not I was going to be paying towards a mortgage or rent, I would 100% choose a mortgage whether we were in a crash or not. So I just try to bring that like perspective to them. That's so smart. It's so smart. So tell me a little bit about um, what your favorite clients are to work with, because you've talked a lot about first time homebuyers. So I'm wondering if that's your bread and butter or it is. Who is it? (laughs) First time homebuyers for sure. So I have um, an education. I never taught formally, but I have a master's in education. That was a big goal of mine was to be a teacher. I thought that's what I was going to do. So. I think I like first-time homebuyers so much because of the educational piece of it. And it's like a lesson plan. You know, like I have these people, what's the objective? Buying a home and this is how we're going to get there. And I think that's why my homebuyer workshops are so successful is because they kind of have a lesson plan format behind them, if you will. 
Um, and I think I have the heart of a teacher. Like I never want someone to sign something that they don't know what it is ever. So the first time we do an offer or even the second, third time, if they need it, I go through each part of that offer on the phone so they know exactly what they're signing. Now, unfortunately, I've had buyers where we've written 12, 13, 14, 15 offers. I don't do that past, like we don't need to pass the third offer, but um, first time home buyers would definitely be my favorite. And I love I, some people, I a lot of people used to give me crap for that saying, oh, well, they're not the highest money. And I'm like, I don't understand why you look at it that way because they're the most rewarding to me, not financially, that may be true, but the most rewarding type of client. And I I develop relationships with everybody I work with. Like I had an attorney one time comment, like, you literally make a new friend to every real estate transaction you have. <laughs> and I feel like I do. I'm very lucky. I have great clients and I do have friends that I've met along the way that I've helped buy or sell a home and we still stay in touch all the time. And that's the thing. It's a long game, too. So you've only been in the business for a few years. I mean, relatively speaking. So really, when it comes down to it, these first time home buyers, you know, this might morph. You might be saying it's not first time home buyers in a while because literally all your business is coming from repeat business or referrals from those people. So, I mean, yeah, that's a very, you know, kind of closed minded thing to say just because of the fact that they're going to be with you long term if you give them the value. And it sounds like you know, it still is one of the most rewarding for you, which drives you and is kind of your why. So I love that. And it goes back to, you know, the reason that you got in the business because you liked that process. So I love it. How do you differentiate yourself? We were talking a little bit about, you know, the um, first time home buyer seminars and you were saying, you know, that it's a lot of people are kind of doing those now. And, you know, what are some of the things, though, that you do that you're like, I hope no one copies this. I want to continue to do it. Or what are some of the ways that you market yourself that kind of does set you apart? Um, you know, because I think a lot of people are looking for those little ideas and maybe they're not in your exact market. We have a lot of national and international listeners on here too. So hopefully they won't steal all your tricks, but. Oh, no. Okay. I, I hope I didn't sound too bitter. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's true though. It's funny in the training the other day, someone said like, I keep seeing first time, you know, homebuyer seminars and stuff like that. Um but it sounds like there is a big wave of that happening. So, but what are some of the other ways that you differentiate yourself? Well, I'm big on making sure that that entire event has a theme. Like I want it to be completely branded. It has the theme. I want invitations to look good. Um, I'm like that in general. I mean, I'm a member of the PTO with my children's school and we did this big fundraiser with a calendar and they wanted to print it on like plain paper. And I'm like, I cannot be a part of this if it doesn't look good. I know this sounds horrible, but I, it needs to be in color. I love it. Yeah. Um, so I'm a big believer in that. Like, So for instance, one of the things I had for buyers and bagels is I went to Trader Joe's and I got the everything bagel seasoning. And I put a tag on there that said, if you're looking for a realtor that has everything for a smooth transaction, give me a call. Um, and I know cheesy. But every single person took one of those when we went home, when they went home and the tag was on there and they're like, oh, all right. They'll think you're going to think of you every time they use their everything bagel seasoning. Mm -hmm. Yep. So <laughs> and then when I did hops and homes, I would give them um, a bottle opener that was branded of wine, cheese and keys. They got a corkscrew and uh, travel wine cup. So I try to make it so that everything has a theme. So I won't ever give up the theme. I won't charge for them. Like I, they're free. They're, they're always going to be free. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you want people to come and not feel like they're paying into something. I mean, it, you know, you may get to a point where you have 50 people coming and you have to charge. 
<laughs> but I mean, that's the hope, I guess. But um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a benefit to your client. So that's really what it's about. Yeah. So that I think um, always having one on the books, like knowing when I'm going to do one next makes a big difference. Um, other than that, I think I one of the follow up. Oh, this is something that this is a good one. Yeah. Talk to me about follow up for sure. Well, so a lot of agents will come to me after they see me post about my home buyer workshops. They're like, how did you get that many people there? And I'm like, well, it's a, it's a, I do a lot of things. I post on Facebook. I make the event. I share it every once in a while. Um, but you can't just post on Facebook, Facebook and expect people to remember. So what I do is I will do 20 or 30 handwritten notes. And of course, they have to match the theme. So the last one I sent out had bagels all over it. Um, and I would send notes to my last 20 or 30 first time home buyers that either attended the seminar or had just purchased a home with me and said, listen, I'm doing this event. I'd love for you to tell your friends and family about it. It's totally free, totally no pressure. And I get a lot of people signing up for that that way. The other thing is when I mean no pressure, I truly mean it's no pressure. And I always tell people whether you're here for this event because you want to buy a home in the next year or the next 10 years, that is totally okay. Totally okay. So I'm not going to be just, I'm not going to be riding even be like, when are you ready to buy a home? When are you ready to buy a home? So I want to make sure I stay true to myself that way. So what is your follow-up then for people after that? Um, is there just light follow-up or do you follow up with the ones that you know are like warmer only? Like what, what are you, what's your attack? Well, so they always go on my, um, what we call it our hub, which is the CRM. So they always go on that. And then they become, I send out a mailer once a month all the time. And I do send my whole sphere and they get added to the sphere. So they are getting hit email once, they're getting hit paper mail once. And then I always invite them to my event. So I'm doing another event this week for St. Patrick's Day. And every single person who's attended a workshop with me is getting invited. They may not come, but it's another touch. Um, so that helps. And then I'll follow up every couple months, not every couple months, maybe about once a month or so and say, oh, how you doing? Have you thought about this? Or interest rates went down. So hopefully we can say that. Um, and then I'll use the next event like, oh, if you found it helpful, if you want to come again, here it is. Or feel free to tell your friends and family about it. Love it. So what kind of apps do you have on your phone? What do you use on the daily that you're like, if someone deleted this, I would die? Facebook and Instagram, probably, which I don't know what that says about me as a human being. But uh, one time I went to a comedy show, Bill Burr, and they locked my phone in this bag that we could not get it open. It was like a magnet We're bag. Panicking. Oh, I was panicking. And it wasn't even because I was worried about my children. They were the babysitter I trust with my life. And my mother was like, you're obnoxious. This is going to stop. Because I was like getting like twitchy. Like, where's my phone? <laughs> so on um, Facebook, Instagram, the MLS I'm on all the time. Um I have a gratitude journal I use every day because that, that's a big, I've tried to change my, I used to be, and I think this has made a difference, even though it's a little woo woo. I would always be like, oh, what if I don't get any business? And now I try to change it when my business comes, like just yeah. to try to reframe from a negative to a positive. So I use that gratitude journal every single day. That's awesome. And it just, you just write down notes about what you're grateful for that day and yeah, so with what I'm grateful for that day, affirmations, what I will do to make the day great. And then at the end of the day, it's three highlights of the day and what I could have done to make the day better. That's amazing. What's the name of the app? It's the five minute journal. So there's a paper version you can get too. Um, but you can also, I think you pay, 
once for the app. I think it's about $5. That's amazing. I yeah. love it. Are you a reader? Or are you more podcasts? Or are you both? Well, I do both. So with reading, I have a goal of doing more personal development, but reading is one of my joys in life. And I'm a big historical fiction person, so I can't give that up. Yeah. But I do listen to a lot of work-related podcasts. Like what? Well, this one I listen to all the time. Yay. And then I also... That's why when I told you, will you be a guest? You're like, me? <laughs> I was like, are you sure? <laughs> I'm like, oh, of course I'm sure. <laughs> But I listened to um, Brian Buffini, It's a Good Life podcast. Yep. I love that one. He has different topics all the time. Um, he's a big real estate coach, which I, I did recently just sign up for a coach um, to kind of scale my business a little bit more and also make sure that I'm checking myself with work-life balance. Yeah. Um, but his podcast, like one of the last episodes was just about respect, like bringing respect back. And he, you know, you think you're a respectful person kind of have to be due to the business and you think you're just like that anyway, but you realize how many of the things you do that are respectful that others aren't doing that set you apart. For sure. Oh, yeah. I love that one. He has, and he'll interview authors. Um, he'll pick a topic. So that one I think comes out once a week. He used to do it was more like two episodes a week. So I listened to that one. I listened to the hustle humbly. Um, there's another real estate coach by relationship bar bets out in California that I listen to. So I try to when I'm driving, which is a lot, a I lot. Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big podcast fan myself. Um, all right. So what advice do you have for realtors out there who, you know, have been in the business for a few years and they want to make that leap, make that jump and get to that next level? What ex what kind of advice would you give to them? Seek help. I think would be, and, and I think that's help in a lot of different facets. I think it's help with training. Um, I thought I came from a company that had good training. I did. And then I came here and I'm like, there's the, it's apples to oranges, baby, completely different. So go to a company that can give you the training so that when someone asks you about the market, you sound intelligent, not intelligent enough to scare the crap out of someone because you just rattled off numbers that they don't understand but just enough so that you could say, well, no, I, you know, I don't think the market's crashing and, and here's why, you know? So I would say get a, go to a company that has the help with training, help with showings, covering home inspections, even doing the paperwork that you necessarily don't have to do. So focus more on the money-making activities for you and then just delegate the ones that are more behind the scenes, um, you know, that kind of stuff. I think believing in yourself is going to be important. I always thought these people, I'd be lucky to work with them. And now I'm like, you know what? They'll be lucky to work with me because they'll get the best. They will get the best from me. You know, they're meant to be paired up with me for some reason. And I'm going to give them the best of me so that we get the best transaction. So I think not in a cocky way, but just, you know, they, they are, they would be lucky to work with me. I and love it. And that. Yeah, I love it. And we are so lucky to have had you on this podcast today. So when you go back to that day when I asked you and you said me like, yeah, because this was a fantastic episode. And I'm sure whoever is listening, they're probably listening in their car. So hopefully they're not taking diligent notes like, you know, they probably should be. But, you know, they're listening in their car just like you would. So <laughs> when you get home, make sure to listen again and then take a bunch of notes because there was some <laughs> really good information here that you shared today, Nicole. Is there anything else you want to say before we end this episode out today? Uh, well, I don't know. I just love real estate and I hope I have many, many, many more successful years of helping buyers and sellers. 
well, this is amazing. I will hopefully be able to interview you again when you, you know, make it to that next step, that elite step or like whatever that next chapter is for you. So I'm super excited. Thanks for choosing us. Um, And thanks so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate it, Nicole. Thank you for having me. All right, everybody. We will see you on the next episode of The Agents Who Crush It in Real Estate. Have a great rest of your day. We hope you learned something today. Be sure to take action and grow your business. You can check out the episode notes and more content from the show at crushitandre.com slash podcast. And if you like this episode and want to hear more stories, please share with others, post on social media, and leave a review. Check out our other content on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Crush It in Real Estate. We appreciate you listening to our podcast. Now get out there and crush it in real estate.